Hi there, welcome back to Channel Chat Season 2. I'm your host, Amity Shedd, and for this episode, we are in Campbellsburg, Indiana, with Channel Seedsman Brady Bishop, technical agronomist Whitney Munnan, Indiana Channel Farmer Dave Peters, and Chad Grody, who's a crop consultant for Wheat Tech. When we got to Indiana, it was sunny and so hot. There was corn taller than us in some places, but in others, farmers were finishing up a replant. Everyone agrees that it's been just a really tough year. Dave and his family have been farming for years. They used to be dairy farmers, and now Brady and Whitney are a pair who work with Chad to help Dave's grain operation. Each person brings a different area of expertise to help Dave have his best season yet. And as Dave can attest to, it's never too late to have your best season. So let's go ahead and get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Channel Chat. I'm your host, Amity Shedd, and today we are in Campbellsburg, Indiana. We have lots of guests at the table today. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and get started with some introductions. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. We could start with Brady. I'm uh, Brady Bishop, uh, Channel Seasman here in uh, Campbellsburg, Indiana. Um, I've been with Channel since uh, 2016. Um, graduate of Purdue University in 2011, and this is my third spring here with Channel. And you work here with Whitney. She's yes, your great. TA. Yep. Whitney, tell us a little about about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Whitney Munnan. I'm a technical agronomist, uh, and I serve our channel seed business in all of southern Indiana and Kentucky. I graduated from the University of Kentucky with my master's in integrated plant and soil science, and before that, I have a bachelor's degree from Western Kentucky University, uh, Go Tops, and uh, (laughs) I grew up on a, a small hobby farm and I think that's kind of where my passion for agriculture uh, came from. And uh, I've been working for Channel now for about five years, five and a half years. And uh, it's it's a, a very interesting job every single day of the week. And uh, I'm just really excited to be here with you guys today. Right. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to hop over to Dave. Dave? Yes. You want to go ahead and tell us about yourself and your relationship with Brady? Okay. <clears throat> uh, Brady's my seed salesman. And uh, we use channel seed. Uh, I've been a dairy farmer all of my life up until four and a half years ago. Very happy to be out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now me and my brother, we've grain farm and corn, wheat, and soybeans. And we're very happy to use the channel seed. And four and a half years ago, is that when you started channel seed as well? No, I was, we were doing channel seed probably about six, seven years. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Chad, your turn. I guess guess I'm up. (laughs) So I uh, grew up in Greensburg, Indiana, um, and then uh, went to school at the University of Kentucky. Got my degree in plant and soil science. From there, I moved to West Kentucky, where I began working for a company called Wheat Tech. And as the name suggests, uh, we primarily looked at wheat while I was there. Uh, in the beginning, and then we moved into corn and soybeans after that. Uh, all the long while, we have, we've got a research group that we work with lots of seed companies, uh, chemical companies as well. Channel's always been a part of that group, which I greatly appreciate very much. So I've been with that company ever since I've graduated. So it's been about 16 years now. And how long have you worked with these folks, Dave and Brady and Whitney? So Dave basically was one of my first clients up here when I moved up here. He was gracious enough to let me look at some of his crops, which I greatly appreciate. Right. Um, and then Whitney and Brady, I have met uh, over the last, I guess it's probably been four years now or so. And like I said, we have collaborated in our research plots as well as use them as resources for what's going on out in the field. 
And you work with many channel seedsmen? So I've got, actually, I've got a cousin that's also a channel seedsman named uh, Pat Grody. Very cool. Um, and I actually had a grower down in West Kentucky that was first with crows and now's with channel named Sam Koblenz. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, about uh, probably 10 years I've been familiar with the transition going into channel, actually, from that standpoint. And I've got several growers that do, do work with channel. Right. Dave, can you talk a little bit about how you work with Brady and Chad on your farming operation? Uh, Chad, and he goes through in the winter, and we pick out our varieties, and then we order by what we find out on the test plots and stuff through the summer. Then we take that information and the yield information and put that together, and that makes our next spring uh, planting what we order and you know what we'll plant so chad and brady kind of work together and so it's been very helpful and how long have they been working together with you on your operation brady's been with us about four years and we were with a neighbor that was a channel seed salesman about three years prior to that and uh, chad has been with me about four years mm -hmm. and can you think of a specific time this year might be a good example of how um, Chad and Brady's mm. services have really helped you get through the season. I know before um, we sat down for this conversation, we were talking about what a tough year it's been. It's been a very tough year, and so we'll go out and Chad will we'll look the crops over and which ones we can keep and which ones we have to destroy, and then we have to come back and replant with uh, what particular variety mm. and stuff like that that mm -hmm. chad can you speak to that a little bit and brady you as well about this year in particular and how you're working with your customers and farmers so yeah. this yeah this year's been uh probably one of the well it has been the toughest year that i've i've experienced as a seedsman um and talking like with dave and a lot of other growers i mean you know these guys have farmed a lot longer than i've even been alive so like they're saying it's one of the toughest years toughest years they've ever uh, experienced as well so it's just been um, it's been a battle, just making you know trying to get the crop up out of the ground, um, getting it going. You know, variety selection. I mean, we had ended up bringing in some earlier earlier maturity varieties than we've ever planted down in this neck of the woods. Um, you know, just because we got such a late uh, late planting and some replants. So like I know Dave, um, we've got some ninety seven day corn on his farm this year um, on some later planted stuff. And normally, you know, that hundred nine day range is about the earliest we kind of get in down here. So just been a lot of firsts this year for me um, and, and them as well, I think. So it's just been uh, working with the guys has been, has been, you know, very crucial this year, just trying to keep in touch with them, know what's going on, um, you know, just on a supply side as well, getting, getting the replant in, you know, making sure they've got enough seed to get everything planted they needed. Um, so it's just been, it's been a struggle all the way, all the way around. Right. And Chad, how do your consulting services play into that? So I think, you know, and Brady hit on it too, um, you know, collectively, there's so many decisions being made in a short period of time, you know, whether that's replant decisions, um, whether that's planting for the first time, especially in a year like this. And then on top of that, you also have to worry about your herbicides, your chemistries and everything else. And so it's, it's always nice to have people that have experience in that situation that you can rely on to make sure that you're not missing anything because, I don't know everything. You know, when you're making lots of decisions, sometimes you have to step back and make sure that you're making the right one. And, you know, Brady, Whitney, Dave, I all collectively as a group 
try to pull as much resource together as we can, information as well. And then also the experience part of that, I think, plays a huge role in just knowing what you're dealing with and what you face on a day-to-day basis. So collectively, I think you can always make a better decision than just trying to do everything by yourself and realize that there's experts in other areas. Right. And I think that's what I appreciate about working with Brady and Whitney and Dave is, you know, just the openness of trying to make those decisions. It's more, it's more of a team. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's the reality of what, what we have sitting at this table and what a lot of people who are probably listening to this podcast need to know is that, you know, farming by nature is a team sport. Um, and I don't think any of us can be successful individually. You know, every single year provides an opportunity to learn and grow new things while the crop is growing. And it's just been a great opportunity this year to right. put our skills and our expertise uh, to into action because the reality is what a lot of folks who are listening to this podcast and what we have been through here in Southern Indiana is historically unprecedented. So while we can think and draw on so many experiences, there are things that none of us in this room have experienced, but we put all that collective experience on the table and say, well, we don't know what could happen, but we do know this. And from that, we, we draw the recommendation from that we decide to move a 97-day corn product that we don't usually grow uh, in southern Indiana that historically does well in Iowa and Minnesota, but based on what we know about that product and its characteristics, and we think it can work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's how we make that recommendation. So, you know, it's it's just really powerful when you look at this table and think all these different minds collectively coming together ultimately to help make Dave's operation successful. You right. know, and I think we're all kind of united in that bond is we want to, we want to see Dave make the most yield possible, exactly. even in a bad situation. Absolutely. Right. You have all these brains and all this knowledge helping you out. Do you want to speak to that a little bit, Dave? Well, I would say this, that uh, when it came time to plant a shorter season corn, we had the opportunity to buy from about four or five different companies. Mm-hmm. And Brady was our choice because of the service and by knowing that we could get a good hybrid from the channel company. Right. And what does service specifically mean to you in your operation? Uh, if we've got a problem, we call and then they, they come and check it out. And uh, so, you know, it, what? I needed a good high-yielding hybrid to fill in on all this ground that was flooded out. Some of it was replant, some of it was first plant, and so it uh, we we let Brady help us with that decision. Right, and you, Whitney, and Chad both offer services that are different, but like Whitney said, all related and all working towards one goal. What does service mean to you guys? Well, I think I think from my standpoint is you know. You want to be there. You want to see the problems before anybody else does. Right. Because the quicker that you can see problems arising in that situation, the quicker you can pivot and and make decisions to offset anything that Mother Nature may throw to you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been my experience, and and it goes back to all of us here at the table again. You know, the more sets of eyes that you have in the area that are looking at different things, you know, the more communication that there is, it helps everybody at the end of the day. No, I mean, this podcast, for instance, we may hit on something that somebody thought, you know, hey, I didn't realize that was going on in Southern Indiana. And if it just helps that one person in that situation, it's very important. And, and Dave, you know, it takes a lot of trust for somebody to say, hey, I want help or I need help. Right. 
And I think that's, for me, service is a lot of trust at the end of the day. Right. Whitney? I would say when I think about service, you know, Chad was talking about uh, thinking ahead, and I would think about it as a proactive, not a reactive approach to a relationship. You know, Brady and I actually started talking about this growing season in the fall, you know, because we were seeing a historically unprecedented wet fall, which was delaying harvest, causing more compaction in the field. We weren't doing fall burn downs. And so even last October, me and Brady are thinking about what's coming for his customers like Dave in the spring. Now, <laughs> we couldn't have anticipated that the water really wasn't right. going to turn off. And then it was going to make all these other decisions when it comes to planting and tillage practices and getting our spring burn down sprayed timely. We had no idea that all of that was going to happen, but we did know our farmers were already starting off behind. So we were making recommendations. Brady was placing seed. He was having those customer interactions one-on-one, -on -one, thinking about the specific fields, where the products needed to be placed, already knowing that we had hurdles to jump. You know, so I think that's what service means to me is anticipating Dave's needs before he even knows he needs them and thinking about the channel products that are going to be really important given those hurdles that have to be jumped. Um, because you have to have agility and flexibility in our business because we are all ruled by Mother Nature and there's a lot of things that are outside the realm of what we can control, but there are also a lot of things that are inside the realm of what we can control. And I think that's what differentiates a channel seedsman from another brand that anybody listening to this podcast could buy from is we are anticipating those needs specifically related to seed and seed placement and we are ultra laser focused at getting that right as much of the time as we possibly can. Right. We have a seedsman here. You could probably speak to service a little bit. Brady? Yeah. <laughs> this year's kind of put us to the test. I um, would believe that, yeah. yeah. So actually, I mean, today we're sitting here July, what, 10th, 11th, and, uh, you know, we were actually delivering seed half the day yesterday. So, like, I mean, two years ago we had a wet spring, and I thought it was bad, but this year has been, I mean, it's been awful. So, like, just juggling seed here and there, you know, switching varieties out. Just and the thing is, you know, we were uh, Whitney and I was talking to there yesterday or in this morning. Um, you know, we've got corn right now that's just coming out of the ground, mm -hmm. and we walked in a field two hours ago that was tasseling, going to have an aerial fungicide application put on it tomorrow. So it's um, you know just the the amount of things you've had to kind of watch this year. You know, like I said, you know we were all caught up in trying to get seed out the door, get it delivered, get guys planted, get it replanted. Well, that whole time that was going on, there was a crop in the field growing. Mm -hmm. So like we had to make sure we, you know, could see the, you know, see the trees for the forest, I guess. I mean, we had to make sure we were still keeping an eye on that crop that was already, you know, knee high, waist high or whatever in the corn, just, you know, checking insects, checking stands. So it was just a, uh, nothing was consistent this year. Everything was just kind of all over the board and it's made it, it's made it a challenge. So, um, Every day you wake up, like, you know, I, um, this spring, like I've, I'm always kind of a guy I like to kind of know what I'm doing the next day, but this spring that has just been completely <laughs> tossed out the window. <laughs> right. So, um, it's just, uh, it's been, been a challenge and, you know, I hope, I hope all the customers, you know, have been patient with us to try to get them what they need and all that stuff in a timely manner. But this year's kind of put it, put it to the test. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely no secret that farming is hard and it's a gamble and Dave, I know before we sat down, you were talking about how, or even, I think you mentioned at the beginning that you're glad you're not a dairy farmer anymore. Yes, ma'am. Why do you, <laughs> why are you in the ag business? Why do you farm? What keeps you in it? Even though we have, 
years like this where it's been so difficult. As a young man, we started out in the dairy business, and I grew up in it, and it got to be such a non-profitable mm-hmm. part of farming. And so when we sold the dairy cattle, it was a real blessing because we now could go to green farming, which is a lot more profitable than dairy farming. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the other question? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you do it? Why do you do it when you have years like this where it's so hard? And it's... I grew up in it. You, it's one of those things you, you experience it only as you grow up in it. And I told my wife, I said, if I had to do this next year like this year, I would quit. <laughs> 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 so we're, uh, we're still happy to be farming. And at my age, I don't want to quit. And I, I always feel like if I quit... I won't live long. So I, you know, to stay active is very important to me. Right. Right. What do you love about it? I guess the challenges to making money in this environment. Right. And that's really what helps with the channel people Mm -hmm. is they help me make those decisions where I can still continue to make money. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're happy about that. Right. Absolutely. Chad, can you talk a little bit about why being a crop consultant and having a crop consultant using one is so important in today's agriculture world. Well, I think it's a, it's a grower to grower kind of a situation, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked with a lot of different people of ages and groups um, since I've been doing this. I will readily tell you that my dad would probably been a person that probably wouldn't have hired anybody just because he felt like he could see everything that he needed to. And, and it probably speaks as much to somebody like a Dave. When I think about somebody that's open-minded enough to say, Hey, maybe I'm weak on these areas. Where can I go for help? And I think that by and large probably shows as much about that person to me that they say, Hey, I want to sharpen my knife continually. I don't want to just sit here and do the same things that I've done always over and over again. Maybe it's because they've got a young son that they're trying to bring up in agriculture. Maybe it's because, you know, they're looking into retirement and they, and, and they want to continue to show those around them that you can improve, even the things that you've done over and over again. And crop consulting to me is the closest that I can get to farming, to be honest. I grew up on a farm, um, had a large family, and they sold that farm, you know, in the late 90s. And I've always enjoyed the people part of it as well because, you know, the thing that is fun about agriculture to me is, you know, it's fun to solve problems out in the field, but it's also an opportunity to be there for people. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately that's the great thing about agriculture and the country that we live in a lot of ways, especially in rural America, is it's not just about the job, but it's about the people that you sit next to, that you have the opportunity to help or they help you. Mm-hmm. And that's probably as much as what's drawn me and kept me in agriculture as anything is one, I learn every day, mm-hmm. but two, if I can do anything while I'm on this earth to help somebody else, mm-hmm. most of the time I'm probably helping myself because it's, it's, it's always a wonderful thing to help somebody. Um, and it, it makes the day better at the end of the day. Right. And what Whitney said is a team sport. Mm-hmm. You all have the same goal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we all need food. We all need you guys. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it really is a, a beautiful relationship, you know, and I mean, it's it's hard not to get emotional about what, what Chad is talking about because, you know, Dave is describing what farming means to him. And, you know, 
it it's a way of life. It's not just something you would put on a business card. You know, it it's it's who you are. It's not what you do. And you know, that's what is so beautiful about uh, at least how I feel getting to work with people like Dave and Chad and Brady. And what's so refreshing about Dave is the first time I met Dave, me and Brady went to go walk a, a soybean plot that he had on his farm. And Dave called Brady and said, you got to come out here. Your channel products look awesome in the plot. You got to come see it. And, and that was the first time I met Dave. And, you know, when, when people are inspired by your products and just have a genuine love for growing things, it's hard not to be, it, special. It, it's hard not to be excited. And, you know, I've spent several occasions with Brady and Dave and we're riding through the field and bumping along the field edges and jumping out of the truck. Do we need to replant here? Do we not need to replant here? And what I'm always uh, just so excited to go and visit with Dave is I can tell he's very intent on learning and getting better and growing. That's the most beautiful thing about agriculture is to watch plants and people grow. Mm -hmm. And there's there's not a whole lot of professions, I think, that you can totally point to that. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's just a, a really unique dynamic that we get to be a part of in the field. And when I think about channel and, and wheat tech and the relationship that um, we have been building over the last couple of years uh, together. That's also what inspires me uh, when I work with people like Chad is Wheat Tech is, is really interested in helping our farmers do better. And that's why we invest in a lot of variety testing with Wheat Tech. Um, we have good relationships together. I go and speak to their group, listen to these guys talk as well. So um, it's, it's a passionate relationship. And I, I, think, I, I think you're hearing that from, from a lot of people at the table. Right. Brady, what brings you to being a seedsman? What brings you to agriculture and farming? So I grew up on a family farm as well. Um, done it ever since I was, you know, old enough to walk. I mean, I remember when I was a little mama, mom and dad told me stories like I'd be at a t-ball game and a tractor drive by and I just, you know, could care less about the baseball game. And I'd point <laughs> and be like, hey, you know. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I grew up on a family farm, uh, and like I said, I mean, I still farm with my dad today. Uh, my wife and I own some ground, rent a little bit of ground ourselves, And then, uh, you know, I have my seed business. Um, so the last couple of years um, actually has been, I've spent less and less time on the farm um, just because my business has kind of taken off uh, a lot more than what I guess I expected it to, which is a great thing. Right, yeah. um, but I still have to get, you know, I have to keep my sanity. So I do have to hop in the tractor or spray or semi or something and, and, you know, and, and have some of that me time, uh, me time to, to drive. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, just, I've grown up with it. That's all I've ever really known. Never had any interest to do another job period. I've never worked at a gas station or a, a fast food joint or whatever. I mean, when I was in school, I worked in an agronomy lab for a year and, uh, then I worked for a farmer up there and, um, it actually ended up uh, him and uh, me and his daughter ended up getting married. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I still uh, still make a trip the trips trips up to up to school quite a bit um, to the in laws. So yeah, it's just it's all I've ever all I've ever really done. So it kind of it just fits, I guess. I love that. What are you guys seeing coming up in the future in agriculture? That's really exciting. That where do you see it going? What's coming next? So I'll jump in and say, uh, I mean, we're getting into the digital age and agriculture. I mean, you know, with climate field view and uh, the prescription farming, um, that's kind of where it's headed. I mean, we're farming on a micro basis now versus macro. So it's, you know, not just field by field, it's part of field by part of field. 
Um, so just that's kind of seems, I mean, we've went through the phase of everything's been getting bigger, you know, bigger planners, bigger combines, bigger everything. Now we're getting into everything is getting to be more precise. Um, so to me, that's where I see everything kind of going. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think Brady is really touching on things that are at the forefront of our industry. If you look back at what agriculture looked like 50 years ago, it's almost inconceivably how how different what we're doing today is from where we were then. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, I actually had this conversation with another seedsman yesterday, I was asking him, I said, think about where we've been 50 years ago. What do you think 50 years from now will look like? And, and we just sat there both in the truck silent, you know, because <laughs> right. it's, it's almost hard to believe, you know, I, I think the limitations of what we can continue to do in agriculture will only be limited by the technology of which we have to apply to our discipline. You know, and, and Brady's talking about a micro basis. I think the reality is we have to start talking about a plant to plant basis. I mean, we start looking at the genetics and everything that's going into plant breeding to make our plants stronger, you know, resistant to said insect, tolerant to said herbicide. The world is changing. And um, I think our crops are only going to be limited by what we can do from a technological perspective. And the reality is we have to continue to be more efficient. We have to do better than we've ever done before. The farmers of the future have to be better than the farmers before. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to be successful. Right. The amount of land that uh, our growers have to farm is less every single year. There's more people living who have affluent diets who need to eat. And our, our farmers are going to be the problem solvers of the world. So... Um, absolutely. It's almost inconceivable where we're going to be. I think. Yeah. Amity. Yeah. Chad, you know, I think the, the technology thing is, you know, to echo, uh, Brady and Whitney, I think is something that right now that we focus on, you know, I also think though, that what is our crop rotation is going to look like, you know, 25, 30 years from now, you know, we have hemp now that people are trying to research, you know, corn is being grown on every continent at this point in time, just about. And, you know, the thing that always intrigues me is, you know, soybeans really haven't been in this country that long um, in a lot of ways. And we've shown that we can get good at growing those. And we've shown that we can get good at growing mm-hmm. corn. You know, what's the next step? What's the next crop? What's the next thing that we can bring to the forefront for the world mm-hmm. to supply, you know, not just the world's needs, but to have our kids grow up on a farm? It may not be a traditional corn, soybean, wheat farm one day. And I think that's the thing to me that's intriguing is we continue to get so good at corn and so good at beans and and pretty good at weed. And I don't know that there's not another crop out there at some point in time that we may need to in this country develop and say, hey, we're going to be the world's leader on this now. Right. Dave, I'm interested to hear your perspective. You've been doing this a while. What What are you past, present, future? What are you thinking? My dad, they started out with horses. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we went to little tractors and we went to big tractors. And now we're going to see tractors with no drivers. Uh, So things are going to change. I'm going to get a great grandchild today. And to think what that child will see by the time they're my age is kind of scary. Probably the best way to put it. They may be doing it with a spaceship. I have no idea. <laughs> but it, uh, it, it, it's exciting. I, I worry about how could a young man start farming today. Mm-hmm. But if he actually has that will, he can do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, 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 
you know, to think he's going to have to take on 8,000 acres or 10,000 acres at his, you know, to be competitive is going to be a scary thing. How are you going to do that buying $10,000 acre land? Mm -hmm. You know, that, 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 that young man's got challenges that, you know, we didn't have as young kids. Now, we had challenges too. And uh, people laughed at me when we bought our land, but today they're not laughing no more. So is it going to be that way for that young man today that's just being born? So it's a very, very interesting concept. It is. Well, I, I think, you know, there's, there's no doubt that our industry is changing. And I think, you know, what Dave is talking about is how, the, how are the future generations going to be able to continue to be successful? And I think there's way more outside influences that are opening the doors and looking into agriculture um, than there ever have been before. Um, and, and sometimes that can be a really positive thing, and sometimes that can be a really negative thing. Because in terms of the American consumer, most people are four uh, and four plus generations away from from a farming enterprise. And and so I think us as agriculturalists, as agronomists, as scientists, as representatives for our industry at large, I think we have to continue to do a good job of telling our story. And I think that's the way we can uh, help people understand how viable, how vibrant, how important, um, how beautiful our industry is and how focused growers are about serving a greater good. To finish out this conversation, unless anybody wants to add anything else, um, I would love to hear favorite farming or agriculture memory, something that has stuck with you, that you remember when the days get hard, anything come to mind. Well, I, I grew up on a small hobby farm. Um, I say all the time that my dad has the heart to be a farmer, but we, he just wasn't. Um, but our farm um, was actually owned by my great-grandfather, and he had a small tobacco base and had some beef cattle on the farm. And when I was in fourth grade, my parents made a what most people would say is a life-altering decision. They moved me and my sister from the city uh, to the farm because they believed so passionately that we were meant to grow up in in a rural environment, and they felt that that's where we were going to grow into the best versions of ourselves was to move to the farm. So when I was in fourth grade, we moved to the farm, and um, I will never forget we we had horses, chickens, rabbits, 4-H projects. I mean, good all American farming experience growing up. Me and my mm -hmm. sister on the farm. And um, I will never forget something that happened. And it didn't really happen to me. I just watched it happen. Um, we had horses on our uh, farm and my sister's Palomino pony named Sandy. My sister's riding this horse across the field and she gets bucked off. I watched my sister get bucked off in the middle of the field, bucked off so hard, throws off her helmet, lands on, you know, the rock, the literally, you know, a gory experience, right? And my sister was probably eight years old, and I'm standing at the barn watching my sister get bucked off, and I don't know, half amused, half worried about her, you know, just normal older sibling stuff, and <laughs> and my sister comes walking back up to the barn lot, I mean, crying, muddy, dirty, you know, throws her riding helmet in the barn lot, and um, my dad watched her get bucked off from the house, and so in this time, Emily's walking across the pasture, you know, muddy, bloody, and uh, she's walking across the pasture, and my dad's walking up to the barn, and um, she says, I'm done. I'm going into the house. And my dad says, no, you're not. And she says, what do you mean? He said, you're going to go catch Sandy, and you're going to get back on. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a farming experience. It's a on-farm experience, mm-hmm. I guess. And um, small, you know, my life, I think, and a lot of the people at the stable is just made up of a lot of small character-defining moments. Mm-hmm. And for me, it, it wasn't even me, happening to me. But watch my dad put my sister back on the horse, literally crying muddy and bloody. And he said, you're going to ride for at least 10 more minutes. Yeah. And she wrote. And, you know, when you grow up on a farm, you have all these small moments that come together to define who you are. And to me, that was one. It was a lesson in determination, uh, wherewithal, never give up, Um, you know. And and so it's probably one of my favorite um, memories growing up on the farm. That's a good one. That's a good one. Lesson learned. Yep. Who's next? (laughs) I think for me, um, there's two things that, that I always love the smell of. And, and that is plowed ground and fresh cut alfalfa hay. Mm-hmm. And I can always remember, it always brings me back when I smell those two things because my dad wasn't, he didn't say a lot of things, but he always allowed me to ride on the fender of a tractor everywhere we went. <laughs> and he never told me I couldn't, or he never said, you're not allowed to, but he allowed me just to be there and to experience everyday life on the farm on the fender of a tractor Mm -hmm. which is probably where so many of my memories really start at the end of the day and I think about those things that you can see so many things just sitting there Mm -hmm. you know whether you're a little kid and you're sitting there dreaming about what you're going to do one day or about half asleep on the floor of a tractor you know in a combine those are the memories that I probably cherish as much as anything because those are the reasons why I do the things now because I enjoyed every moment riding on that tractor with him. Right. Brady. For me, uh, as I look back, I learned the dairy business and you have to have such concentration on in that business. So we kind of let our farming practices go. Not that we went downhill, but we wasn't on top of the game. And by taking Chad and working with him, we became, last year, we had like a 240 bushel average on our corn. And for me, at my age, it was, I didn't realize that I could do that at this point in time. And it was very satisfying that me and my brother could get, you know, get those kind of yields. We put up a great big grain bin and filled it up, and (laughs) so it... It's very, very satisfying. Yeah, simple, but definitely satisfactory. And the other thing is the family. Just raising a family, four children, and now the grandchildren, and now the great-grandchildren. It was that part of my life is probably more exciting for me than than the the, the agriculture. But, you know. They go hand in hand. Hand in hand. Yep. That's a beautiful thing. Brady, last Uh, but not least. Yeah, so... um... Mine's kind of some of the same things what Chad said. I mean, I spent my entire childhood either, you know, on the fender, in the buddy, well, not buddy seat, on the armrest <laughs> of the tractor. Um, you know, I don't know how many how many hours I've slept and, you know, had my head against the back of the 4430 and dad hit a bump, bounced my head off of it. I mean, just uh, <laughs> yes, growing up, you know, like I said growing up on the farm, that's all I ever wanted to do when I was a kid. Um, and then... Uh, Whenever we had our daughter, my wife brought her out to ride in the combine with me the first time. So, I don't know. That was gratifying. <laughs> yeah, that's special for sure. Yep. Oh, I loved it. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on this podcast, having 
so many cool people joined together for like I keep coming back to what Whitney said, but a team sport farming is one common goal, and it's really great to have all you guys here talking about it, and I'm just so appreciative. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. This Thank was really fun. All righty. That's it. It was a fun afternoon hosting Dave, Chad, Whitney, and Brady at the podcast table this episode. They're good people working hard to keep farming collaborative and rewarding. Now let's send it over to grain marketing consultant Matt Bennett to wrap up his tips on bin management. This is Matt Bennett, the grain marketing consultant with Channel Seed, and I'm coming to you with our uh, third part in the series. This will be our last one talking about bin management. And so I think bin management might be one of the most important things that we can pay attention to because here in the last several years, I can assure you, net income has been tight. That's no secret. But producers who have been able to manage their bins uh, better uh, have certainly been able to quote unquote manufacture some income where maybe income, uh, they didn't think that income was going to be available. And so, uh, you know, one of the main things that I can tell you is that in a typical year, you will have carry in the market, which we've already already uh, touched on. And so this past year in 2018, just to let you know how uh, this all played out, you know, during harvest, we were looking at prices, uh, you know, December corn trading 350, 360 a bushel. Uh, at ADM Decatur, which is the main processor in our part of the world, we saw basis levels running about 35 cents under the board of trade. And so whenever we put our corn in the bins, uh, just going uh, to Decatur even, uh, we were going to be lucky to get 330 or 340 a bushel uh, for our corn. All right, so you put the corn in the bin. Uh, we saw a little bit of a rally, uh, obviously, uh, seeing the... You know, your spring insurance price up at the $4 level in February. We saw a rally between harvest uh, and the winter time frame. But somewhere in there, a lot of folks decided that they wanted to maybe move forward and sell some corn. And so, interestingly, uh, the basis at Decatur before harvest was completed went from $0.35 cents under, under the December uh, to option the December. And, the, and, and also, interestingly, uh, July corn uh, was trading at $4 and above in that winter time frame. And so a producer who decided to go ahead and sell July corn at $4, uh, at that time, uh, you know, the basis was still running 10, 15 cents under the July. And so, you know, you, you fast forward until this uh, time of the year, whenever I'm actually uh, recording this, which would have been in, in May, uh, of 2019, you would see uh, a lot of your elevator systems, including the one that I'm referencing, uh, bidding option price uh, and even above. And so, uh, our current bid uh, for July uh, into Decatur, you know, is is running seven cents over the board. And so, a producer who had sold corn basis the board at, at four dollars actually saw their basis continue to improve uh, and, and the basis went from 35 under whenever they put it in the bin uh, to seven cents over the board and you've also got to factor in uh, not only that 42 cent gain but what did they gain based upon the carry in the market and it, of course it was significant so when you look at putting corn in the bin uh, that corn whenever it went in the bin it was only worth uh, three and a quarter to 340 depending on the time frame you're looking at a lot of folks are actually selling that corn um, even if they put risk management in place 
over $4 a bushel, which is a significant gain, a significant return on your investment. And I would encourage, highly encourage any producer uh, who has grain bins to become a better student of how this basis works. Um, my last point as we try to wrap this up, you, we have to always understand that the owner of cash corn is king. I absolutely want to retain ownership of my corn as long as I possibly can. There's always marketing strategies that can help you participate in the market going up after you give up your corn. Uh, but the bottom line is I don't want to sell it until the market tells me it's time to sell it. And then I want to be a price maker instead of a price taker. And whenever I've got the corn in my bin, that's exactly what I can be. So once again, this has been Matt Bennett with uh, Channel Seed. And I, uh, I'm going to wrap up this uh, bin management portion of our uh, podcast here. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to hear more from Season 2 of Channel Chat. Learn more at channelpodcasting.com.